And uh, we'll try to get a little farther than that tonight if we can. But uh, it's just such, so much, so much um, good meat here for us in these passages in verses 12 and 13. So if you're there tonight, say amen. Philippians 2.12, Paul said, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only. In other words, you're not just acting right and doing right. When I'm around, when the pastor's around, you've heard the old saying, when the cat's away, the mice will play. And uh, <laughs> uh, Paul's saying, you hadn't just done right and lived right when I've been with you, but also in my absence, he said, but now much more in my absence, you're still obeying the word of God. And then he says this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God. I love that phrase right there. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining or murmuring and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Boy, ain't that the truth. Amen. Amen. <laughs> among whom you, notice this, among whom you. Here's, here's our duty and our obligation in the midst of this crooked and perverse nation in whom you, among whom you shine as lights, shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. We talked about uh, last Wednesday night about the importance of these verses and how um, that that the um, Paul gives us here the pattern for a victorious life for living a victorious life of um, of righteousness and holiness and freedom from the powers of darkness and from sin and um, he shows us not only the pattern here for a victorious life but he also shows us that there's a divine power that has been given to us to accomplish that pattern, to live that life, to live out that life. I mentioned last week, Brother B.H. Clendenin always said that living for God's not hard, it's impossible. Unless if you're trying to do it in your own power or in your own strength, it's totally impossible to do. But God has not left us to do this, to live this life for Jesus in our own strength, or in our own power, or in our own ability. Aren't you glad for that? Amen. So the secret to living this life for the Lord and being a victorious Christian, um, the secret is Christ living in you. It's God working in you to put the will there, the desire there to live for God, and then also providing you with the power, the energy of the Holy Spirit to be able to perform that will. And that's what he said there in verse number 13. He said, for it is God who works in you 
to do two things, both to will, to give you the will and the desire, and to do, the ability to do His good pleasure. Paul basically said the same thing in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, where he said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. It's, it's being crucified and the old man dying and dying out to the old life, dying out to the old man, dying out to the world, being crucified with Christ. And he said, but nevertheless I live, yet it's not I that live, but it's what? It's who? It's Christ living in me. So God is working in us and working out of us, and we're working out what God has worked in us. And it's, a, it's, it's just a matter of you and I depending upon Him, depending upon the Lord, trusting the Lord to live His life in us and through us. When you get born again, when you got saved, you got born again, your desires changed, didn't they? You didn't, you didn't want to do the same things you did before. Amen. There was a new desire that was, that was deposited on the inside of you. And I believe that the Lord deposits within us everything that we need through the Holy Spirit. He gives us everything that we need and everything that He had, has accomplished on the cross. Everything that we need to live an overcoming victorious life. And I know a lot of times Christians are defeated. I know, you know, I've, in, in my life and ministry, I've saw a lot of Christians give up and fall by the wayside. But can I tell you what? That wasn't the Lord's fault. Because the Lord has provided for us everything we need to be overcomers and to live that overcoming life. And I made this statement before. I don't remember if it was last Wednesday or, um, or, or on Sunday, but... Um, we're either going to overcome, be an overcomer, or we're going to be overcome. We're either going to be a victor or we're going to be a victim. And I don't want to be a victim, do you? I don't want to be overcome by the enemy or overcome by sin. God wants every one of us to live a victorious, overcoming life. And I'm telling you, saints... In these days that we're living in today, in these last days, we're going to need more of Jesus, more of the Spirit of God in our lives than we've ever needed Him before. Amen. Only those in these last days, only those that are truly depending upon Him and trusting Him and allowing Him, being filled with His Spirit, those are the only ones going to make it through. Can I get an amen? So it's a major step toward our victory in Christ when we quit looking to ourselves for our deliverance to come from the outside and quit looking to, for that deliverance to come from the outside. And we start recognizing that God has already placed within us through His indwelling Spirit, through His Son within us, Everything that we need, and we just need to work that out. So, you know, we've already got it. He's already there. And so that's what Paul was saying. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. doesn't suggest that we're working for our salvation. Paul did not mean that we're working to earn our salvation. But he's writing to people here that, that, that we said last week are already saints. They're already saved. They've already been born again. And uh, Jesus has already brought them, you know, into the family of God. 
So he's not telling them to work for their salvation, but that word to work out means the, the, the working to a full completion. It carries that meaning of, of working to a full completion, such as working out a problem in arithmetic, you know, working it out to its full completion. It was used, as we said, in working a mine and getting all out of that mine, that valuable ore that was there in that mine. I mean, it's there, but it has to be brought to the surface. It has to be worked out. And that's what Paul is saying here, that the Lord is in you and he's placed the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ within you, but you have to work, it has to be brought to the surface and lived out and walked out in our everyday life. Amen. And that's what Paul was saying, to carry out their salvation to the ultimate conclusion. And that ultimate conclusion is being Christ-like, being like Jesus. Can you agree with that tonight? Amen. So, so that's what he's, he's, he's talked to us about. We mentioned all those things last week. And we are to be trusting and resting in what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. Paul said this in Hebrews chapter 4. Um, he talked about the rest for the people of God. And in Hebrews 4 and 9, he says, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest. Now, notice what he's saying there. He says we are to cease from trusting. What he's talking about there in Hebrews 4 is that we are to cease from a trust in ourselves and a dependence upon ourselves and rest in the Lord and what He's done for us at the cross. Now, how many knows that takes some effort there to do that? Because the labor, to labor to enter into rest, it, it kind of sounds like when you read that verse in Hebrews 4, that, um, that we are to labor, verse 11, let us labor therefore to enter into that rest. When you read that verse, it seems like an oxymoron. But he, he's saying that it takes an effort to enter into the rest of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that? The reason that is is because our this human nature we got. Human nature wants to do something to be worthy of, uh, of our salvation or to be worthy of the Lord's blessings. And can I tell you, I think we all know that we can never do anything to earn the favor of the Lord. And there's a lot of people, that's what religion does. That's what religion is all about, to, to do good things to earn God's blessing and to earn God's favor. But we can't, we can't earn His favor. We have to cease from trusting in our own own works and rest. And this is the rest that Paul's talking about in Hebrews chapter 4 is to rest in what Jesus has freely provided for us through his finished work at Calvary. And ladies and gentlemen, that takes effort on our part to enter into that rest and trust in the Lord and what he's done for us. The hardest thing that, that you as a believer will ever have to do is to quit trusting in your own works and 
and start trusting totally in what the Lord Jesus Christ did for you at Calvary. That it's Him working in you and living in you and through you. We get the idea, and people have, have, have had the idea for, for years. I know, I've known a lot of people like this that, that, well, if I just do more, I can get God to love me more. If I can read the Bible more, you know, if I'm reading five chapters a day, I, if I start reading ten, God would love me that much more if I do that. Or I'm praying 30 minutes a day. Boy, if I'd pray an hour a day, how much more the favor of God and the blessing of God that I would have. Let me tell you something. If you read more of the Word, it's going to, it's going to affect you and do you good. If you pray more, it's going to affect you and do you good. But you're not going to earn the favor or the blessing of God by your works. That's what the Pharisees thought that they could do. That they could earn God's favor by doing a lot of good works and things like that. But Paul says, and Jesus taught, and the Bible teaches us in the New Testament that it's not by works of righteousness that we have done that we can earn our salvation or earn our justification, but it's resting in the Lord and trusting in what He has done. Can I get an amen? amen. Now, Jesus, Jesus said the same thing along these lines in Matthew chapter 11. Verses 28 through 30, and you know these verses. Everybody knows these. Uh, Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor. Now that labor's talking about a salvation by works. Laboring to earn God's favor or salvation. Come unto me, all ye that labor, labor and are heavy laden. And what did he say I'll give you? I'll give you rest. Then he said this, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest rest unto your souls for my yoke Jesus said is what? easy and my burden is light. What's he referring to? See, in, in, in Bible days, a new ox, when they would, they would get a new ox uh, that was untrained, they would train that ox for plowing or for drawing a cart by yoking that ox up with an experienced ox. And the yoke kept the young ox from doing its own thing and uh, that's what Jesus was talking about here. We're to be yoked with Jesus and when we're yoked up with Jesus and he's he's leading and he's pulling he's going to pull more than his share when we're yoked to Jesus all we got to do is follow along he's leading us living in us and that's the rest that he's talking about it's laboring to enter into that rest it's God working in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure amen and so that's the thing that we're that we're that we have to enter into those that think that they have to to have to act a certain way to gain God's acceptance and approval are not trusting in the finished work of Christ because by the works of the flesh shall no flesh by the works of the law shall
shall no flesh be justified. Now, the, the question always arises when you, when you begin to talk about trusting Christ, what He's done for you, His Spirit living in us and through us. The question always comes up, and there are those that are teaching this, well, if Christ did it all at Calvary, then, you know, all, all sin is, is atoned for, which it is. All of our sin are, is paid for, which it is. But where does holiness enter into this? And there are those that teach, well, it doesn't matter then. Jesus did it all. Doesn't really matter how you live. But is holiness still necessary? Is, is it necessary that we live holy? Absolutely it is. Amen. There's no question about that. That's what Paul's talking about here. He said, it's God, notice, working in you to will and to do or to perform. It's not something that God does outside of us or apart from us, but it's what he's doing in us and we're living it out. Glory to God, we're living it out. Holiness is required. Amen? Holiness is to be a fruit of our relationship with the Lord. See, when people, when, listen, when people, Christians, you know, when they begin, I, I always, as a pastor, and I know Pastor Wade's felt the same, three, same way through years of pastoring, when you see Christians begin to miss church and lay out of services and not come, you know, there's, what's the problem there? It bothers me because I know, especially if they've, if they've been faithful and been in church and then they're not there anymore, there's something, there's something wrong in their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that, well, you know, they have to go to church to be saved. And I hear people say that, you know, all the time. Well, you don't have to go to church to be saved. And, uh, well, no, you don't have to go to church to be saved. But if you're saved, you'll want to go to church. Can I get an amen? You agree with that? If you're saved, that's where you'll want to be. It's God putting the will and the do on the inside of your life hallelujah so there is a fruit to living for God so in verse 12 we have the human responsibility where he says where he says uh, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling that's the human responsibility we're to work it out live it out and in verse 13 we have the divine enablement to carry it out so there's a perfect balance for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure that's 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 how we live a victorious overcoming life for the Lord Jesus Christ. That word there where he says, for it is God who works in you. God who is working in you. That word worketh uh, is the Greek word where we get our English word energy or to be energized. God's divine, it's God's divine energy that's working on the inside of us to produce um, the fruit of righteousness 
and the holiness in our life. You can't do it without God energizing you and living on the inside of you. Amen? Isn't that right? And so he says to work out your own salvation. It's, it's surrendering to the power of God within you. And when you do that, then obedience becomes obedience to the Word of God and the will of God then becomes a delight and not a battle and not a struggle to live for God. And it's like I told you last week about those golf videos. Those golf videos, the title was, Golf's Not That Hard Unless You're Doing It Wrong. So if you've got the idea that living for Jesus, you know, is something that's very hard. Jesus said, what? That yoke is easy. That burden's light. If it's not that way, then we're doing it wrong. We're trusting in the wrong thing, in our wrong... In our own abilities instead of trusting in His indwelling, abiding presence on the inside of us. That is good news. Thank God for the Holy Spirit and for God working in our lives. That is the sanctification process. Isn't that right? That's, the, that's God working in us to bring about that holiness in our life. And He says to do that, Work that out with fear and trembling. That shows a desire. That shows a passion to please the Lord. It's an awareness of our weakness of the flesh in temptation. It's aware, an awareness. It's an awe of God. And so we're to work out our salvation with that fear and with that trembling. Now, let's go to verse 14 and verse 15. Here's some good stuff right here. You're going to love this verse. <laughs> You're going to love this verse. Verse 14, what does it say? Do all things. We're back in Philippians 2, 14. Do all things without murmurings and disputings that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Do all things. I know ain't nobody getting on nobody's toes here tonight with this. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. This short verse right here provides a lifetime goal for every one of us. Because I don't think there's any of us got there yet. Huh? None of us there yet. We're working on it. Praise God. Remember that, <laughs> remember that little song we used to sing? He's still working on me to make me all I want to be. Well, I imagine right here that this 14th verse is part of it, that he's working on all of us because... Uh, this, this is, and this should be the goal because to, what he's saying here is that we're to face our problems without, and he said all things, without murmuring and without complaining, disputing or complaining. You know, God's not pleased when we complain all the time. Well, I got a big amen there, didn't I? <laughs> amen. <laughs> that word murmurings, Murmurings means a complaint. It's a whispering. It's grumbling talk in private. Low, this is the definition of it, low, threatening, 
behind the back, discontented muttering. It's the word that was used for the cooing of a, of a dove or a pigeon. That's the word murmur. And um, so it's, 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 it's something that's usually done in the foyer of a church, you know. Not necessarily face to face with somebody, but with other people complaining or murmuring about something that we don't like. Boy, I tell you what, I can. Y'all probably saying, "Wish I'd stayed home tonight." <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but that's what it is. And uh, he says to do all things. Remember, we talked about this church when we started this series here on Philippians. That the Philippian church was one of Paul's favorites, and he doesn't mention he doesn't mention them being in sin of any kind of sin that, that had to be dealt with in their life in this epistle. But there was, there was some indication that there was some um, discord, a little bit of discord going on between a couple of ladies in the church. And it's mentioned over there in the fourth chapter of Philippians. Uh, uh, and, and so probably because of this, there was, there was beginning to be some murmuring. There was beginning to be some discontent, some complaining within the body of Christ. And maybe they, they were taking sides with one lady or the other, and there was some murmurings and some undertones going on. Uh, but God doesn't want that. And so that's why Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing to them and telling them not to, to murmur, not to complain, not to dispute in all things. Do everything without murmurings or complainings and disputings. The Christian who gripes and complains all the time, that shows a lack of trust and confidence in the Lord. When we're always complaining about our circumstances, are always complaining about our situation, it's an it's a, it's a evidence of a lack of trust and a lack of faith in the Lord. Amen? Go back to the Old Testament to the children of Israel. Remember, that was what got them in trouble all the time with God. They, they complained, they murmured all the time. Didn't matter what God did for them, they were never satisfied. They were never happy with anything they had. I mean, God brought them out of Egypt. He brought them across miraculously through the Red Sea. I mean, they're wanting to go back to Egypt. When they're there on the Red Sea and the Pharaoh and his, the Egyptian army is coming after them, they're trapped they can't, there's no way they can get, it, get away. It looks like they're done for. What did they begin to do? They begin to murmur and to complain against Moses. Why did you bring us out? Why didn't you leave us in Egypt and just let us? We want to go back to the leeks and the garlic and the onions of Egypt. And we want all that. We told you to leave us alone. But then God, they're complaining and murmuring, but God performs a miracle, opens the Red Sea, brings them through on dry ground, gets them over on the other side and drowns all of Pharaoh's army there in the Red Sea, you know, and, and, and delivers them completely. Well, then what they do? 
truth. They had a camp meeting on the other side. They're shouting and they're praising the Lord and Miriam and the ladies get the tambourines together and they're, they're playing music and they're praising God and they're just having a, they're having a Holy Ghost time. They're on the other side. They're singing the right song and I preached on that one time. They're singing the right song but they're singing it on the wrong side. They should have been shouting and praising God when the enemy's coming after them instead of complaining. Amen? But here they're shouting the victory. But you know what? Three days later, read it in Exodus chapter 14, 15. Three days later, they're traveling without any water. And, for, and three days later, they begin to do the same thing. They come tomorrow where the waters are bitter. They hadn't had water for, for those, uh, those three days. And they begin to complain. Instead of trusting God, they're murmuring. They're complaining again. Don't shout me down. <laughs> Amen. And, uh, but what happened? God came through. Moses prayed and God showed Moses a tree to cut down and throw in that bitter water. And when he did, it made the bitter water sweet. Praise God. That's a type of, of the cross of Calvary. That, that when the cross of what Jesus did there is applied to the bitterness of our life, he'll make everything sweet. Can I get an Amen. Hallelujah. But, but that's what, uh, but that was the problem that they had all the way through. You read and study their life through the wilderness, you know, and they spent 40 years in the wilderness because of doubt, because of unbelief, because of their complaining. And all through that time in the wilderness, everything, every time things didn't go well for them, they complained to Moses. They complained about Moses. They spoke against their leadership. And God wasn't pleased with it. And one particular time in Numbers chapter 21, they begin to complain about their situation, and God, God sent fiery serpents among them. Amen? And the serpents bit them, and a lot of them died. Well, praise the Lord for that. But it shows a lack of confidence in God. And, and, and Paul writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 said, the things that happen to them are examples to us. And he said, neither murmur ye as they murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. It, it just, you know, it's just, it, the more we complain, the worse the situation gets in our life. Amen. And that's why, that's why the Lord said, that's why, the, that's why Paul said, do all things without murmurings and disputings. This book of Philippians is the joy book. It was written by Paul while he was in prison. It's one of the prison epistles and he's writing it in prison but the theme of this entire book is joy and over and over he's talking about joy telling them to rejoice in the Lord and instead of complaining and murmuring he says be joyful and rejoice and do all things without murmurings and without disputings amen that you may what shine as Lights. Notice what he says. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. In verse 15, that you may be, here you go, that you may be blameless, harmless, the sons of God without rebuke. Man, 
Isn't that something? In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Hallelujah. The only way that you and I and we can only shine as lights, and this is, the, this is what God wants for us, is to be that light and to shine as lights in the world. And the only way we can do that, saints, is when we do all things without murmuring and complaining, then we're blameless and harmless as sons and daughters of God. Amen? Praise God. To be blameless which means to be free from fault or defect. It's a life, a life that is of such purity that no one can find fault with you. Can anybody live that kind of... People are going to find fault, but I mean they invent things. Amen. They can invent things. Daniel, they did that with that. Daniel lived such a life even under the old covenant that those enemies of his couldn't find any fault with him. They tried to find something they could accuse him of, and they couldn't find fault. And they said, we're not going to find any fault with this guy unless we find it with him concerning his God and the laws of his God. And that's when they, they went to the king and had him to make that decree that nobody could pray for 30 days. Nobody could ask a petition of any God or anybody except the king for 30 days. So they invented something so they could snare Daniel. But the the thing was, Daniel was faultless. He was blameless in the eyes of God, and, and he lived that kind of a life. I believe that that kind of a life, not I'm not saying that you can live a life of sinless perfection, but we ought to be growing in God so much and in the things of the Lord that we're at that place where we, we come to that place where we're blameless. And he said that you're blameless without fault and harmless. The sons of God, harmless. That word harmless means to be unmixed, to be unadulterated. And that word harmless was used um, of, of wine or milk that was not mixed with water. It was used of metal that had no alloys in it. And so what the apostle was saying there was that we are to be, we are to keep our hearts so clean and so pure before the Lord. Our character is, is to be as pure as snow and white as snow before the Lord. And uh, when we're able to do that, we're doing things without complaining, without murmuring. We're praising the Lord. We're living for Him. We're blameless. We're harmless. We're living a life without mixture, not mixed, uh, you know, not a mixture of, of righteousness and worldliness. There is no such thing. You can't mix those two together. Amen? We got folks trying to do that. They want to live for the Lord on Sunday and then live any old way they want to in the world all the rest of the week. And you can't do that. We've got to be harmless. We've got to be without mixture. Amen. We're to keep our hearts clean before the Lord and live straight and live upright in the midst of a crooked world. We're in a crooked world, saints. We need to live blameless and harmless. The sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked nation. My Lord, our nation needs help. A crooked nation. That word crooked, that word crooked there is the Greek word skolios. 
And it's the Greek word where we get our English word scoliosis. Our daughter, Rachel, had scoliosis. You know what that is. It's a, it's a curvature of the spine. And the word scolios means winding, twisted, and warped. And the word was used of rivers and roads that were winding and twisted. It also was used in reference to the movement of snakes, the way a snake would move. And, and my grandma had a saying, you know, about when it was somebody she didn't trust, she'd say, oh, he's crooked as a barrel of snakes. Amen. Crooked. Crooked. Well, that's what that word crooked means. It's winding. It's, it's twisted. It's warped. I think that dis- pretty much describes our society today. That pretty much describes our world today. That pretty much describes our nation today. Amen. Uh, every, uh, it, it definitely distri- it describes our political system today. It's twisted. It's distorted. It's warped. We're living in that day, ladies and gentlemen. That, that, that Isaiah talked about when he said, woe to them that call evil good and good evil. And uh, they call bitter sweet and sweet bitter. That's the day we're living in today. Everything's distorted and twisted and, and, and crooked and we're supposed to live different than that. The church is supposed to be a light in this crooked generation. The church is the only light that this world has, this dark crooked world has. Amen. And just as a, as a curvature of that spine would keep a person from standing up straight. You remember that? You remember that woman in, in Luke chapter 18 that had a, had a deformity in her spine and she was bowed together and she couldn't straighten up until she was touched by Jesus and then she straightened up. But that curvature of that spine keeps that person from standing straight and so a crooked nation a crooked nation doesn't stand up for what is right and it inflicts a lot of pain and trouble upon its citizens and society ladies and gentlemen don't expect it to get better I know the dominionists are saying that we're going to usher in the millennial reign but that ain't going to happen the only time the millennial reign's coming is when Jesus comes back to this earth and sets up up his kingdom on this earth and rules and reigns in righteousness. And until that happens, this world will become more crooked, darker, more depraved. It's not going to get any better. I don't know what this coming year holds for our nation, but I know that regardless of what happens, that God is speaking to his church today, and he's telling us that we have got to shine. I said we've got to shine. We've got to shine as lights in the midst of this dark, crooked world world that we're in today. Amen? We stand straight today. We're not crooked. We're not bowed over. Jesus has touched us and straightened us up and we're to walk uprightly before the Lord. We stand straight today because our life is measured by the plumb line of the Word of God, the perfect standard that He's given us. Praise God. Praise God. The world today is dark, but we shine as lights. We shine as lights. That word shine shine as lights. The word lights there is the word for a a luminary and it speaks of the stars in heaven. 
Just like you can see those stars glistening on that background of that dark black night sky. That's the way you and I are supposed to be in this dark black sinful world. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You're the only light. I'm the only light. We're the only light that some people will ever see. And we're to let that light shine. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill that cannot be hid. You are the salt of the earth. And if the salt has lost its savor, where, where, where's the flavor coming from? You don't light a candle, he said, and put it under a bed or under a bushel, but you put it on a candlestick so that it gives light to all the house. And so that's what he's saying to his church today. Paul said, Paul said that you may be as shine as lights in the midst of this crooked, perverse, ungodly, dark world. How are we going to do that? How do we do that? What, what, do we, what, do we, what have we got, church? that this world, this crooked nation and crooked world needs. What do we got? Jesus, but notice what Paul said there in verse 16. Here's how you do it. Holding forth the word of life. Holding forth the word. We got the message. We got Jesus. We've got the word of life to hold forth. That's how we shine, church. That's how, the, that's how the believer shines. We're to share this word with others. Put it, put it to practice in our lives. Live it. Don't, 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 try to, don't try to get other people saved and witness to other people if you ain't living it. Amen. You got to live it. We got to live it first. But then to share that gospel with others. Holding forth the word of life. Presenting it to the word, to the world. Applying that word to our life will help us to live straight in a crooked world, but we've got to let our light shine through our actions, through our life, and hold forth and present the word of life to a lost and a dying world. It's the only thing that'll change people's life. The word of God's the only thing, giving them the word of God that will change their lives. Holy living doesn't result just our holy living before people doesn't result in them being born again. It can have an influence on them. But God's word will cause the new birth in their life. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God. The world has got nothing to offer, but the Christian has got the word of life that we're to give to the world. The bread from heaven, the bread of life. My Lord, that's what we need to be doing today. Amen? Paul said that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. The day of Christ being the rapture of the church, he said that I may rejoice in that day of Christ, because this church was still going to be living for him, that my labor 
has not been in vain in the Lord. Amen. When pastors get to heaven, Brother Wade, and see those folks there that we've prayed through, led to the Lord, that we've pastored, that we've taught, that's run the race and finished the course, and we're there in heaven, and, the, and, and, and we'll say, man, our labor wasn't in vain in the Lord. There have been times that it looked like that we wasn't doing any good or that we wasn't helping anybody. But if we'll hold forth this word of life, ladies and gentlemen, and give people the word of God and feed the flock of God and teach the word, I'm telling you what, our labor is not ever in vain in the Lord. Amen. Let's stand tonight. Praise God. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you for your precious holy word. Our desire tonight, God, is to allow you to live your life. Jesus, for you to live in us and through us, to help us to be the, the men and women of God, the Christians, God, that we ought to be. Lord, to be the examples, to be the shining lights in this dark world, that there's no doubt. Lord, I know in the darker the night, the brighter that little flickering candle is, the darker the night. And our light tonight can shine so brightly because the world is so dark. We pray tonight, Lord, that you would put that, that zeal, that desire into our hearts and the hearts of your people tonight. God, that in these last days we'll serve you, we'll live for you like we never have before, putting you first in every area of our life. And we'll give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen.